August 31st, 2016. This is the Swiping Pest Podcast. This is our 12th episode with uh, Matt O'Neill and... Hi, I'm Erin Hopkins. We are coming to the end of August. Yeah. Hey, can we wind one thing up though? Uh, today is my younger brother's birthday. Yeah, he turns one year older today. So, <laughs> happy birthday, Sam! Is he a listener? I. Why wouldn't he be? Oh well. <laughs> big brother. Yeah. On the big show. The big. The big. <laughs> yeah. The big. A the SPP. <laughs> oh, he's probably having a great day. Him and his uh, family up in Minneapolis. I wish him all the best. Mm-hmm. So, I think if you were to ask a crop nutrition specialist, um, in some ways we're about seven days ahead of, of uh, plant oh, yeah. growth compared yeah. to normal. So things are progressing quickly. Moving very quick. Yeah, yeah I saw a lot of yellowing. I uh, went back and forth uh, around the state uh, this weekend. and. Patches? Patches of yellow and well, except you could see where, um, I, and I, I may be exaggerating. I was doing a lot of driving, taking kids back and forth from uh, their camping trip, but I, I swear over forty-eight hours, I saw that those patches growing. That's why it's called sudden pest. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that. I'm just wondering. It looked like the beginning of senescence mm. is what I was saying. Like yeah. little bits of yellowing kind of lower in the canopy. Um, and maybe it was sudden death, but um, all I'm saying is we're getting close to senescence. Yeah, we are getting close to the end. Things are uh, wrapping up. Whether, whether it's planned or... Disease driven. Or just I ran out of I, I ran out of gas and so did all the insects and so we're just we just gave up. Never give up. <laughs> Never give up. Although this was a busy week for us, wasn't it? I mean every week. It's Wednesday. Um, it's Wednesday and it's the week's not even over yet. But both of us yesterday were at Farm Progress Show. Um, this year it's in Iowa. Yeah. So between Boone and Ames. Huge expo for agriculture. I was in the morning. Mm, How many that, people do you think go to Farm Progress? Um, I'm going to guess, I don't know, um, I know how to play this game. Uh, 200 people. Mm. In our booth? I, total? Oh, it, uh, I was being a little bit jokey there. Um, uh, my guess, I, I think a couple hundred moved through the booth uh, when I was there on Tuesday afternoon. The people counter? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we will find out how many yeah. people kind of go through every yeah. day. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think a um, couple hundred in absolutely. two or three hours? Yeah. I was there, it was about, what, four or five hours? Easily a couple hundred people. Yeah. And not just walking through, but actually spending a little bit of time um, visiting a lot of demonstrations. Did you see the decomposition of the underwear? No. What? No. You didn't see this? No. With Monty? Mario Casey, no, he did I didn't a, see that. a tillage residue study. Oh, where he buried on the outside? Or no, this was. Oh, I didn't see that. Inside. Across the yeah, yeah, across the tent. No, I didn't see that. Little tidy whities. Oh my god. No joke. Um, with different kinds of tillage and residue, hmm. and of course you can imagine the com- decomposition of the undies varies with different things. And 
there was a difference. That's and, wild. And, and I don't know how they picked underwear, but they did. Yeah. And I can't imagine the expense report for that. <laughs> I've got to be in this ring. Uh, like <laughs> reimburse for underwear. <laughs> uh, Hanes? Was that part of your... Yeah. Well, the uh, ironic thing, I made comment to... Um, uh, Bob Hartzler, a uh, weed scientist at ISU, he was in the building while I was there. And I was on one side of the, the building. He was on the other. He was standing next to the monarch butterflies, and I was standing next to the pile of Palmer amaranth. <laughs> What's going on in this world? This is flip-flop. Right. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing. But, uh, he is like an entomologist now. All he talks yeah, about yeah, monarchs. Yeah. He's bug crazy. Yeah, that, that that was a very popular part of the exhibit. Was oh, they had so many people, and they did a great job showing the monarchs alive, the adults in the cage, and and showing the different uh, milkweed plants. I unfortunately had to stand next to a pile of Palmer amaranth, With and sharp bracts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I uh, so I'd been out of town for the month previous and missed some of the. Um, the explosion that went on with this. The, you know the story? This is in CRP mixes for pollinators that were sold uh, with Palmer amaranth or, and planted with Palmer amaranth seed in them. And I was asking Bob about this. I'm like, okay, how, you know, did that seed, act, was it actually in there? Was it, or was it, did it showed up in places where, you know, it, it was already in the, uh, the weed bank? And he's like, no, Palmer amaranth is known not to be widely distributed through Iowa and where it was showing up was consistently where these seed mixes were planted. And then they went back and they, they, they found seed that is morphologically similar to Palmer amaranth seed. And they're, they're not planting it to confirm it. Cause I guess there's, some, you know, you can't tell just by looking at it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So at the expert desk, there were handouts and, and examples of it to, help because apparently it can be managed but it's really tricky to manage like you got to get on top of it with if you're going to use glyphosate you have to use it very quickly right. or but preferably a pre-emergent herbicide is sometimes you don't know it's palmer amaranth until very late in the season because uh, a lot of the pigweeds kind of look the same yeah, to me. and yeah. there's just a lot of variability in how they look so to tell it apart from other uh, kinds of pigweed i guess it's really hard so they you don't see it until now when they have seeds and it's yeah like you don't you want don't want to get it to the point where it has seeds and it spreads. So uh, those tiny seeds, which are... I think it did peak to like 15 or 16 counties. Yeah. All of a sudden yeah. popped up yeah. in the last few weeks. Yeah. Everybody's noticing it now. And it was, I think it was like four counties before that. They're very limited. So, I mean, this is, again, the evidence is very much suggesting that it was accidental and a bummer. Uh, you know what also happened this week? I just came back from Peel, which is our general oh, lab, yeah. and they had a regional crop scouting competition. Oh, yeah? How'd that I go? I helped with the Iowa one a couple weeks ago, uh -huh. and so they took the top two finishers from that contest, top two from Nebraska, and top two from Indiana. Oh. And so six teams came together. They, we went through, you know, they went yeah. rotated through stations again, and I can't believe it, but Iowa finished one and two wow no, that's fantastic I mean, well i mean some people think it's a little like hey it's your oh homer town. yeah homer yeah. judges yeah <laughs> there's there's judges from all over the place yeah um, like kirsten wise um from indiana oh, yeah. and a few other places um, okay but yeah i mean 
they were here a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But everybody asked different questions, so it wasn't the same question. So we'll That's see. fantastic. Um, yeah, it was really fun. That and these guys. Are you were part of this. You were. You were. I was a judge. Yeah. I, I did the bug section. Yeah. How how did Iowa? Well, how did everybody do on the bug they, section? The Iowa teams were one and two for me. Yeah. One of them was actually able to describe the life cycle of soybean aphids, which is fairly That's complicated. That's not easy. That is tricky. These are sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school. And these were high? Oh. It's high school. Wow. Yeah, and wow. A lot of the groups at the beginning have trouble with insects and, and diseases. Uh -huh. But these two groups in particular, um, they do an excellent job. Wow. The they know the life cycle. They know the management. They can recognize injury. I was just like... You want to come work for me? Yeah. <laughs> you want to come to grad school? You know, yeah, you, yeah. Got, you got an open invitation. They're just so bright. Um, what other st so Iowa was there? What other states? Nebraska. Okay. And Indiana. Mm. And we're hoping that this is the first time they've done a regional one. So uh -huh. they're hoping that we can get some more of the Midwestern states. Yeah, I would think Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Bring it. Come and knock this crown off our head. <laughs> come on, do it if you're a man. Well, FFA. Some of them were 4-H groups. Others were just working yeah. with like an agronomist. So there's a couple different backgrounds. Some are like egg teachers. Others were crop controllers uh -huh. that were getting kids together. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Bring it on. Congratulations. Yeah. So that was this morning. So that's, I guess, why I'm still wearing my name tag. And the hat and everything. Yeah. Anyway, that's what happened this week. And that's, yeah, so Farm Progress Show wraps up this week. Uh, it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three days, yep. and then it's down. So uh, outside of the uh, deteriorating underwear, what other things did you see at the Farm Progress Show? What questions did you get asked? And Some of the, the focus of this one was nitrogen management. They had a precision egg stopper. Did you see the drones? I did. I did see the drones. What, UAVs? Yeah, UAVs. Yeah. Um, Unmanned aerial vehicles. Uh -huh. or the water filtration with nitrogen. Uh, that was a pretty cool demo. So when you're talking about uh, drones, UAVs, you, you're talking about not only the ones in the ISU tent, but the ones on display at the uh, the other commercial. Oh, I see them. I, yeah, you were pretty, you, I was you're very ISU popular. I had yeah. to come back for art meeting, so oh. I didn't get to do a hot lap around. I, I, I did a quick one, and um, it was more luck than intention, and I ran into the the drone tent, and uh, I wonder if I can put these on. Maybe we can download them and put them onto the, um, the podcast. Um, the, there was a company out of California that was there. There were several companies. There was one that was, you know, you've seen the drones. You know, I think everybody has now. You can buy them commercially. Yeah, but there was one and only one that I saw uh, that had a spray tank attached to it and T-jet nozzles oh. off on the the six or so arms. And they were they were saying that it is, th this is the first time, if I, you know, I'm just telling you what the guy told me, but he says the first time this had ever been in the States and that um, it has been sold commercially and used in Japan and China, especially in areas where they have very, rocky terrain that they grow uh, rice on in patties and so you, you, know, you can imagine you're not able to bring mechanization in there yeah. so you use this aerial um, applicator that is very small mm -hmm. ultra low volumes i was like that is that was pretty cool i, I ain't gonna lie that was it's that was impressive difficult to, to reach it by conventional means yeah so 
Yeah. Wow. Probably not something you're going to see over a corn and soybean field unless you're doing, you know, spot spraying. Right. But if you're doing hops and you need to get up onto the trellis. You need high volume pressure to reach up to 18 feet. Or you need, you know, your little drone, you know. Get, anyway, it was cool. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I'll show you some pictures later. Cool. What else? Busy week. It's only Wednesday. Um, Test-wise, things are really winding down. Yeah. We're kind of reaching those critical growth stages where it doesn't make a lot of sense to treat anymore. Greenfield is getting kind of like peak and as you mentioned, senescence is happening. And so I also start to think about the pre-harvest interval. Like if someone's gonna, someone's going to make a treatment this week, there are some products that are like 45, 60 days. Yeah. There's no way that yeah, you'd want yeah. to harvest that late in the season. So that kind of comes into play too. So, so pre-harvest interval, that time period between application and the time that the product or the, 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 crop can be harvested and you don't run into residual yeah. exposure yeah and so uh, I think a lot of people you know have either sprayed or decided not to spray in most cases so actually my extension job as far as that is concerned is kind of winding down and as far as people trying to make treatment decisions I think plant growth stage has actually made that decision for them yeah so uh, thinking ahead and uh, it is a little yeah, we're, we're seeing aphid populations drop down now. and um, But the thinking ahead to the big issues that we learned from this year, and I think this is one that we're going to be talking a lot about, is the reports of soybean aphids that are resistant to pyrethroids. I, I can't remember. I think we've talked about this before because there were reports coming out of Minnesota. We had uh, Bob Cook... Uh, spelled K-O-C-H, Bob Cook, uh, come down and talk about this last year. Um, but it, apparently the reports have expanded, and now maybe some reports out of Iowa. I'm hearing people say they're concerned that they're not getting the, the amount of protection they had hoped for. Yeah, I heard you know, anecdotal stories about, well, it's not, you know, pyrethroids aren't doing what they used to do. That's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only... You know, yeah. I, that you take that for what that is, but there are also people who are providing more concrete evidence of spraying and still having a good number of the aphids survive. And that's, you know, you sometimes wonder, is it a coverage issue? But when you start, you know, hearing from more of the, um, more of the ones that, you, you know, yeah. do a good job, the applicator is, is a pretty solid, you know, it's not a coverage or volume issue, then you start to wonder, is it, because the aphids are tolerating the product or what. Well, so then it draws a little more red flag. Yeah, so I, um, just bringing it up because I think that's going to be something we talk about repeatedly um, as we think about why um, an insecticide didn't work, what are the, the reasons for that, um, and as we start thinking about resistance, how do we manage that, and how do you, know, how do you manage the insect if you know, the product that you thought was working doesn't work anymore, where do you look for alternatives? So and that changes everything, right? If, if you have pyrethroids that are maybe not working or not getting the knockdown that they used to, you know, like 95, 97% control, that, that changes everything because I don't know how, how often people actually go back in three days later and see yeah. you know, what kind of aphid activity do you have. Yeah. And now if, if you're in an area where suspected pyrethroid resistance, um, that really limits your options. If you're not using pyrethroids, what's the alternative? 
for nanophosphates. Mm. And um, suddenly something that was once a very cheap, ultra cheap kind of application now becomes a little bit more complicated. Yeah, and if you, so imagine the worst, well, I don't know if this is the worst case scenario, but this is a bad scenario where you spray, you used a pyrethroid, you come back a week later and the aphids population hasn't changed. If anything, maybe it's gone up. Well, if you've exceeded the threshold and you've exceeded the injury level, you've lost yield, right? You've lost dollars, right? Well, application. right, right. So, you know, you can Double go, end. so you can go back and spray, but you have lost yield now that you've gone a week plus with yeah. a large population of aphids. So, you know, this emphasizes the need to scout even after you spray now, because yeah, if you, yeah, you may want to come back a two days later, if not sooner, anyway, because that pyrethroid, you get a good knockdown with that, right? Um, but if that knockdown isn't there, then you need to think about a different product, and not just a different product, but a different active ingredient. Well, a different group. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's it, it, you can't base this on product name. You have to base it on the active ingredient, the chemistry. The group number. You yeah. Just want to pick a different group yeah. number. Yeah. yeah. So you can't just say, well, I'll use... You know, something with a different name because it may have the same active ingredient as what you just applied. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's I kind of a bummer. Yeah, going to change my extension program. Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm going to be talking a lot about, you know, the, the kind of like thoughts about mm -hmm. at, basically at the beginning, right? We're at the beginning of resistance. and. I think it, it, it not only extension, but research. You know, what's oh, the, yeah. uh, how fast is this spreading? You know, if you come back and spray with a different product, did you, you know, did you really remove it? Uh, and, yeah, we're going to have, um, I think we're going to have a lot of work for us to get on top of this issue. It's challenging, too, because just because we had problems this year doesn't mean you won't have problems next year and vice yeah. versa, right? Because yeah, of yeah. the mobility of yeah. all the overwinter. So that adds an extra layer yeah. of complication. Every year might be a little bit different. Yeah. Should we change the subject to talking about something more positive? Uh, oh, I was hoping you would come up with something. <laughs> what is this? Uh, yeah, this completely off uh, the cuff. What is this little critter right here? You have a couple vials here with caterpillars on your desk. I helped. What's going on here? Uh, fruit specialist, Diana Cochran. She's in horticulture. Uh -huh. I helped her harvest hops on Saturday. Talk about backbreaking. I am, I am not meant for that kind of lifestyle. Um, Got to get a, lot a drone. Of hand labor, yeah. Um, to sort out uh, the cones from oh. the rest of the plant material, and uh, I've been spot checking her hop yard at the Hort Farm, maybe four or five times this summer, and really, really low pest activity. Actually, the only things I ever find, I only have found, were spiders and other biocontrol. Oh I wow. only find beneficial, but while we were harvesting, I noticed, gosh so many different caterpillars that have moved in in the last three weeks. Yellow striped armyworm, green clover worm. I don't know what that thing is in the vial. It's got spines and yeah. it's, it's so I'm, I'm looking at it. it. It looks, uh, it, yeah, spines doesn't do it justice. These are weapons of torture all along the back. Yeah. yeah. And That's then a few other caterpillars that I just don't know what they were. Mm -hmm. They um, were feeding on and in the cone, which is the most important part, of, obviously, of hops. And I found an aphid, just one aphid. I can't tell you what it is yet because I've got a beast that might be on it. 
Ted Leapopper's Japanese Beetle. There's oh, a, a number of things. Yeah, uh, thank you for bringing up Japanese Beetle. Um, that while I was at the Farm Progress show, uh, I had a handful of people, about half a dozen people, come up and ask me questions because I was at the Ask, ask an, an Expert, expert. desk. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, four out of the six questions were about Japanese Beetle. Yeah, and you know the crazy thing about that was I was telling I haven't seen a Japanese beetle since 2010 in Central Iowa. I mean, we had that population crash, right, because of the cold winter. 2012, uh, 12, uh, you know, plus or minus. Uh, but the these were people from the eastern and western part of the state, uh, especially around Muscatine, and they were saying that the population has rebounded. And yeah, yeah, and and they were seeing tremendous feeding on linden trees. To the point where you know, the uh, one guy was saying is the, there's there's nothing but skeletonized leaves. Um, another f- guy was saying that he thought some silk clipping had gone on at, at least at the uh, the outer edges of his uh, cornfields. So um, they definitely bounced back this year. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're seeing a lot of this yeah, throughout well, the state, or you know the the tracing pheromone traps yeah, that we've yeah. used to that first detection techniques. I had them at Thiel, that same demo farm. Every year, I have a variety of traps uh-huh. for people to look uh-huh. at. And the last two summers, I didn't fill up that trap the whole summer. Um, this year, I filled up the trap um, over a four-day period. So wow. very wow. dramatic yeah. increase as well. And I think many other people throughout Iowa notice that as well. The last couple of years, numbers are lower. Yeah. But 2016, definitely a sharp increase. Big Big, big rebound. Yeah, I mean, you've noticed it around the city of Ames, haven't you? Not really. No, not really. Around my neighborhood, maples and lindens. Yeah, I've got roses Mm -hmm. that have been fine. We went to Ryman Gardens. Their roses looked fine earlier in the summer. But um, anyway, just uh, not – it sounds like it's not unique to one place, and and the rebound is on its way. Probably only going to get worse. So talking about some different ways to deal with that. I mean, the traps are nice, but I was – telling the one gal from western Iowa um, don't place those next to your roses those traps oh, I don't think they're appropriate for any homeowner well, do you think so? Um, I, this gets an interesting discussion I, I've seen some people use them somewhat effectively to keep to reduce the number of Japanese beetles on their roses by spraying the roses but then putting the trap some distance away but the problem is for people who feel like they want to use the trap they put it right next to say a bunch of roses or whatever and th- that doesn't help because they end up attracting and they don't all go in the trap and they sort of have this halo effect where they're you know all around them and um there's there has been some work where if you if you use them if you use a trap in conjunction with something else like a spray you can kind of do a push pull strategy but um I anyway, would, I would never recommend it for a homeowner. I mean, to me, the, those traps are like first detection. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess I, I would say that the traps are so powerful. The, the lures are so strong that they draw them in from all, and you'll end up with more than if you hadn't used the trap. Yeah. That's, but that's it, my experience. But, and, and I'm not, not arguing with you. When you mm-hmm. put them down, you see them not oh, just yeah. on the trap or in the trap, but around oh, the yeah. stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But if, but it again, depends I, on how big your property is. Yeah, yeah, and some, acreage. yeah. Some of these guys were saying they have large acreage because uh, I was like, you know, if your neighbor's using this, you know, whatever you do for your yard, you're gonna have the issue of your neighbor being a possible source as well. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. But anyway, the, uh, you mentioned Japanese food. Yeah. You brought that up. But uh, I heard that at the Farm Progress. So, anything else we should talk about? You got to get back out there. You still got more work to do today. No, Mm-mm. I do. Teaching, so much teaching. So Classes much. are back in session. School's back. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think we've covered it. Good. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll try to download some pictures if not now uh, later okay. from the. Thanks. Guys.